Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you all. If you've got a Bible, can you go to Psalm 131? Psalm 131. What we're doing is we're going back to the sermon series we began in January. We are going to get through this and we're going to finish it now, run down through the summer. This will be the end of it where we've been spending some time looking at the Psalms of Ascent. I'll explain in a moment what that's about. We've entitled our series Life's Playlist. Um, the songs that were sung by ancient Israel, many parallels to some of our modern songs that we sing. Well, the plan is to finish life's playlist then in the new term in September, plus we're going to go into the Ten Commandments, just so you know where we're heading, which will lead us down to Christmas. Thou shalt cover, just not before, right before Christmas will be a fun Sunday, put that one in your diary, that's coming. But what we've also done at the beginning of all our uh, sermons on uh, Life's Playlist, we've introduced some of the leaders from the church and asked them to say hi, tell them what they do, and also talk a bit about what their playlist, what they're listening to at the moment. So we've now got John going to come and share his playlist. So can we give him a clap, please? Thank you very much. Hello, I'm John. Um, I'm one of the worship leaders here. You may have spotted. Um, uh, I'm married to Sarah, who's in kids' work at the moment. I've got uh, three lovely children called Emily, Owen, and Caleb. Got that right. Good. Um, I work for Jaguar Land Rover. Um, I'm a finance manager at the plant in Solihull. I'm soon going to move jobs to be a finance manager for the, um, for the freight team, so looking after the guys that move all the cars around. Um, I love music. I, I started uh, learning to play keyboards... Um, and French horn when I was 12 years old um, and, and for years I studied music I studied uh, music history I studied um, the way that people wrote music the way that people felt about music I studied the way that music was a force for social change I studied the way that music uh, was being written and performed by people who, who wanted to reflect and affect their emotions um, I, I I love the way that artists use music to try and make sense of the world. Um, I love creativity. I love seeing the craft that goes into music. And I love seeing the way that musicians and um, composers use the tools that they've got uh, to make new music. Um, I listen to loads of music. I listen to music in the car when I drive to Solihull and back again. And obviously the, the, the drive from my house to Solihull means I go on the M6 and the M42, which means I'm, I'm pretty much stationary for a good half an hour a day, uh, either way in the car. So I, I get to listen to a lot of music. I, li- I listen to music when I'm, when I'm cooking. I listen to music while I'm eating. I listen to music. Uh, I love nothing more than on a weekend morning. I get up early. I'm normally the first one up. I'll go downstairs and start listening to some new music, get some headphones on and just listen. Uh, at the moment, on my playlist in the car is, um, is Tom Walker, uh, uh, Lauren Aquilana, a brilliant, brilliant songwriter, Jasmine Thompson, Sarah Reeves, the new Avicii album, which I love, uh, uh, Benjamin Francis Leftwich, and the soundtrack to Hamilton, um, which is fabulous if you've never heard it. I also return back to some music that I love um, from, from uh, you know, that's not, not current, so Coldplay, um, love all of their work. Martin Smith, Alicia Keys, brilliant, Jamie Cullum, Carol Emerald, both of whom I've seen live several times, fabulous artists. Uh, Postmodern Jukebox, I love um, uh, pre-war jazz, so people like Ella Fitzgerald and uh, the, the Rat Pack and those kind of people. I love house music as well, so I listen to, to Dead Mouse, and I, I love um, uh, techno too. 
Um, I also listen to worship music, as you can well imagine. Um, uh, I, I love the way that, um, that songwriters can, can draw attention to who God is. Um, I, I'm a little bit concerned with some worship music I hear at the moment, where it seems that the songwriters seem to think that I should be the subject of the, of the song, and that Jesus is the context, rather than the other way around. Because um, I think that actually worship music should be about God, not about me. Um, so I, I listen at, at the moment to, um, to uh, Worship Central, um, to Elevation, and to Vineyard. One of the things I love about Apple Music is that I can make my own compilation tape of worship songs. So I can, I can take the stuff that I don't think is very good and reject it, and then just have a, a worship album that's full of stuff that I like. Um, but I love, I love listening to music. If you ever want to talk to, me, talk to anyone about music, talk to me and I'll bore you senseless. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, hopefully you found um, Psalm 131 in your Bible now. We're going to go through um, the psalm together. Now, the psalms were sent. A little bit of background. We've been away from this series for a while. The psalms were sent are a series of psalms within the larger body of psalms. There's 150 psalms in total. The psalms were sent number from 120 to 134. They're a smaller body. And these are um, designated as songs that were sung by the people of God as they were traveling from their homes to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate one of the three major annual feasts that God had put down in his word that the people of God would celebrate. So they would travel from their homes to Jerusalem, and as they were doing this, they would be singing these songs. And there were three feasts. There was a Feast of Unleavened Bread, or Passover, the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, and the Feast of Booth, or Tabernacles, as it's sometimes known. And the, the title of the Psalm of Ascent, meaning to go up, is often thought to have come from the fact that when someone was traveling to Jerusalem, as Jerusalem was a city on a hill, one had to go up to the city. And when you got into the city of Jerusalem to go up to the temple, which was the center of the city where the presence of God dwelt, one would have to ascend the temple mount to get there and even go up the steps into the temple. So that whole idea of ascending, looking up towards God. And these psalms that we've been looking at reflect much of our modern songs that we sing about. They cover all aspects of life, the highs and the lows. Hence, we got our life's playlist out of this and why we ask people to share and look at this. Now, the psalms as a group of psalms are structured, um, and we've had a little look at that. So we can put the, put the structure up. They basically come in groups of three. And we've seen that the first one of the group of three is a situation of stress. So we've looked at psalms talking about the hardship and the difficulties of life. Then you have a psalm about the Lord's power to deliver, how God can move in a situation and turn it around. And the final one of the three is about the pilgrim who's been traveling to Jerusalem, coming home, a place of safety and comfort in God. And then finally, the final three are about um, entering actually into God's city. So when we look at those final three which begin next week. It will be about being in God's holy city. The pilgrim has finally made it to Jerusalem. This morning we're on 131, which is our final one of our group of threes, and it's about basically God's um, comfort and being around it. So uh, if you've got that, we're going to read that in a moment. Before we do that, we cycle all our psalms of this series, all our sermons after a song. And so this week's famous song that you can try and guess what it is, is this one. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Which one is it? Which one is it? Get ready.
Okay, I saw a lot of you chime in straight away with that one. What's the song called? We Are Family by Sister Sledge. Can anyone give me the year that it first appeared or was first released on the airwaves? 81 earlier. Later. 79, 1979, we got there eventually, apparently, and it's been played consistently ever since. We Are Family by Sister Sledge. Now, what's the relevance of that song to what we're looking at today? Now, as Christians, we're part of God's family. See, that was an important truth there, being highlighted by the static. We are part of God's family, and in being in God's family means we should carry some marks of God in, in us. You know, family likeness. I was just looking at my nephew earlier, and I thought, boy, does he look like his brother, and does he look like his father. There was a family kind of resemblance that came through. And as Christians, we should have a family resemblance to Christ, who is the head of our family, and something resembles in here. And this psalm talks about one of those themes, and it's not one of the most popular ones, but it's one that is so key to us as believers. And the theme of this psalm is the theme of humility. Humility. The Bible says throughout the New Testament, you've got that we are to humble ourselves like a child, says in Matthew 18. James, writing later, says that God gives grace to the humble. He also says that we are to humble ourselves before the Lord. The Apostle Paul writing about the Lord Jesus as an example saying he humbled himself and took on the form of a man being a servant and serving others. And so what we're going to look at today, we're going to read this psalm and we're going to look at how this family likeness should be something that marks us out as Christians and how we should be humble before God and humble before others. So the big idea of what we're going to look at today is part of God's family, we are to display humility. So you've got the psalm, let's read it here. It's a very short one. That's the entire psalm. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Okay, one of the shortest psalms of the series. The psalm begins, you notice, with three negatives. We'll look at that the psalm is saying things they're not doing. And then finishes with a corporate call of response to all Israel to all God's people and as the theme runs through it is one of humility and what we want to look at is three things today about humility we look at the definition of humility which is hugely important we're going to look at a picture of humility a family picture right in the middle of the psalm and then we're finally going to look at gaining humility a call to all of us as God's people to be humble before God and before the world first one verse one defining humility It begins, the first word of the psalm is Lord. So the focus of the psalm is God. The focus of the psalm is the Lord. And so what we first thing we can find out about humility, it begins with God. It begins and is defined by our relationship with God. Because 
The fact is God made everything. He made heaven and earth. He made everything in it, which includes us. And so if we're going to understand life and understand anything about it, it is done in reference to him. Trying to define anything or work through anything without reference to God and the one who created it leads us into problems. You only have to look at the news to see those problems being played out in the world around us. And as the psalmist begins, giving us an insight into his prayer life, as he speaks to God, it begins with him. And that's the starting point. When we begin our day, when we begin our life, we are to pause and we are to focus ourselves on the one who is above everything, the one who rules over everything. It has been a theme throughout the Psalms that we've seen that actually the focus is God. When the psalmist is struggling and going through hardship, his focus is God. When, when things are turning out and things are working in his favor, he points himself to God and thanks God for his deliverance. When things are going well and he's being kind of held He goes back to God and thanks God for all he's done. And the psalmist then goes on in that first verse to describe three behaviors that are rejected by the psalmist. Effectively, three things I'm not doing. So there are three negatives. And the first one says something like, my heart is not lifted up. My heart is not proud. That's what it's pointing to. The heart in the Bible is the center of consciousness um, of a person. It's where their, their desires, their thoughts, their attitudes and actions, everything comes out of the heart. It is more than just a physical pump in the body. It's something very much who we are, our inner self. And he's saying, my heart is not lifted up. I do not have a high opinion of myself. We find, we read the Proverbs. It says in Proverbs 16:5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. And the psalmist is saying, "Uh uh-uh, my heart is not lifted up. We saw a couple of weeks back when we looked at Isaiah chapter 6, with Isaiah's vision of the Lord, who was high and lifted up? The one seated on the throne. And there's only one who should be high and lifted up, because only he is worthy to be there. And humility is having a correct view of yourself before God. It is not having too high an opinion, saying, I'm amazing, I'm wonderful, I'm the center of everything, the world revolves around me. But at the same time, it's not having a too low opinion that basically says, I am worthless, I am good for nothing, I will amount to nothing. It is having a level heart and saying, actually, my heart is not lifted up, it is not proud, it does not try and put itself in the place of God. But at the same time, it doesn't put itself too low to say, I am nothing, I am worthless, I have no value before God, because that is the the incorrect the other way. So we are to have a level heart. The second thing, we are to have level eyes. He talks about his eyes. My eyes are not not raised up high or haughty, certain translations. The eyes, when we talk about the eyes in the Psalms, they are are the posture of where someone is going, their attainment, what they're looking for, what they're after. And he's saying, I'm not... I'm not trying to, to go into a posture of arrogance and look for myself and try and gain for myself. And my, my focus isn't above where I should be. I'm not trying to attain more than I should have. I'm not trying to put myself in a higher place than I should be. It doesn't mean then if you're looking up for yourself, it means you're looking down on others around us. 
Humility is having a correct view of yourself and others. Where your eyes are, where you're looking, what you're doing. It's having a correct view before God, but also having a correct view of other people as well. Because the reality is we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. The Bible says we're all kind of under his wrath, he says. So there's no one who can boast in that one way or another. We become Christians. We respond to God in faith. And it says we are showered with grace and mercy. We are now holy and righteous and saints before God, which is a wonderful truth to live in the light of. But none of that is based on your performance or what you've achieved or how good you are. It's only on God's grace and mercy. And so we are to have a correct view of ourselves before God and also before others. We're all sinners saved by grace, transformed to saints, righteous and holy. You're no better or worse than anyone else on that level. And the last one, he says there, he has a level, you've got level heart, level eyes, level goal. He says, I do not occupy my, myself with two things, things too great or too marvelous for me. That word occupy, the sense of that word is to walk with determination um, and perseverance. So what he's saying is, I'm not pursuing things actively that are beyond me, things that I should not know, that I cannot know. It is basically a summing up of vain ambition. There are things in this world that we just cannot work out. Many questions that begin with the word why, there is no answer this side of heaven. Why does this happen? Why did this God allow this? Why has this happened in my life? Why has this thing come about? Why am I going through this? Why have what I wanted, my expectations, not been met? And he's, the psalmist is saying, there are certain things that are just beyond me. There are certain things I just cannot know. The sovereign nature of God and his plans and purposes in this world are beyond my understanding. And I will not pursue them and let them lead me to a place of bitterness or unforgiveness because I am just not to know those things. God in his wisdom and his mercy has chosen not to reveal those things to me. And so humility is having a correct view of the world around us. So we have humility is defined in our relationship with God. Humility is a correct view of oneself before God. Humility is a correct view of, one, of others before God. And it is also a correct view of the world before God. And all of those things rely on God's grace and his position as a defining point of that. The second thing we see in this psalm is a picture of humility. The picture here is of a child in the arms of his or her mother. And the child is a wean child. So this is a child who has finished breastfeeding. So we're kind of thinking, what, three, four years old, whatever it would have been. So this is a child who then is content to sit in the arms of their mum and just rest there. And just rest there and take it easy there. This is not a baby who would be screaming for food and kind of like attention and just like, you know, what, what little, little ones are like. I was described once when we had little, our boys were little. He says, babies are like fire alarms. They just go off. Sometimes you don't even know why. They just start yelling. And you're like, what is it? Hungry? Too cold? Too hot? Need changing? I don't understand. But that's what they're like. They just, ah! This is not like that. This is a child who's a bit older, kind of understood a bit, and they are just resting in the arms of their mum. And the image of God here being 
kind of a feminine image is something that is shown in the Bible, and it's an image of the compassion of God and the love of God for his children. And so the psalmist is saying, I'm like that. I am resting in the love and the mercy and the grace of God. And the language it uses is, I have calmed and quieted myself. That, that verb there, that word there, is the, um, is, means to level out. The image is of, of, apparently of a plowed field. When it's been all plowed and every the work is done, it's all leveled and ready to be sown. All the kind of the bits, the boulders and the, the tufts of grass, they've all been sorted out and you have plowed furrows ready for the seed to go in and in turn produce a harvest. And he's saying, I've, I've, I'm like that, I'm leveled. And the other word there is just to do with silence and quiet. And so there's no yelling, there's no questioning, there's no turmoil He's saying, I've just calmed. I am calm before God like a child in his mother's arms who is resting on God's grace and God's comfort. And we have that image, that family image there of a child just resting with their mom. And you see it. We've got so many children around church. You see those moments when the parent is there cuddling their baby, their child, and everything is beautiful. We know it doesn't last very long, but there are moments <laughs> which are lovely to behold and think, yes, give it 30 seconds. But that's what the psalmist is pointing at. That is the picture of what humility is. It is to rest in God and trust him for everything. Trust him for everything. The child isn't crying out for this, that. He knows God has got it all. And the final one, the last part there is verse 3. It says, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Gaining humility. How do we gain this humility? How do we go after it? Well, this last verse gives us a clue there. What's the first word of the verse? Israel. That is a community context. That is a corporate dynamic. That is a reference to God's people. And so he's saying to them, having described what he's like, he's saying, Israel, listen up. So there is a call to all God's people. For us, the church... The gathered people of God. It's a community dynamic. And he says, to are to hope in the Lord. Now, in the Bible, the word hope is not how we use it today in our English. In, the word, in our English, we tend to use hope as kind of more a longing or something I would like to happen. That might be nice. You know, I hope, you know, my favorite football team wins the Premier League this week. And you're thinking... That might not happen. In fact, it's very likely to not happen. But when the Bible talks about hope, it talks about rock-solid assurance. Something that cannot be moved, that cannot be broken. And he's saying to the, the people of God, hope in the Lord. Put your trust, your reliance, and your faith in God. And the, and the reality of this trust, reliance, and faith in God is something that isn't fleeting, it isn't something that is momentary. It isn't something that just lasts today and tomorrow. Where are we? He says, do it when? Now and forevermore. So there is an ongoing trust and hope and faithfulness for the people of God. And if we are to gain humility, if we are to live this life that the psalmist is singing about and pointing to, we are to have a hope and trust and faith in God that goes on and on and on and on, not just today. But the question then comes, well, actually, how are we going to do that? 
And he gives us a clue at the beginning when he says Israel. So there's actually there's a corporate dynamic. You cannot do this alone. It is a community activity saying all of Israel, you need to do this together. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this when you've been following God and things get hard. You say, well, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to live this life. I'm trying to read my Bible and pray. I'm trying to be part of a church community. I'm trying to live it out in the world around us. But it is squeezing. It is hard. I've got pressures. People are trying to get me to do things. I'm just, I'm not sure about. I've got questions. How do I handle this situation? And life gets on top of you. And I don't know if you've been in that situation. But if you have, I know from my experience, one of the things that has got me through are other believers standing around me. Others who come alongside me and encourage me and pray for me and say, keep going, don't stop. Being part of a church body, a church family, a church community is has enabled me to carry on following God for however many years it's been now. 20 plus years for me. And so there is a corporate dynamic to this gaining humility. It's not something you can do alone. In fact, if, we look, if you look through your New Testament with these eyes, actually most of the stuff in the Christian faith you can't do alone. You need someone else there to help you, prod you, encourage you, push you on into all the things he has for you. Okay, let's finish. Let's put some application on what we've learned today from this psalm about humility. I want to start just by reminding us where we should be looking. Where should our eyes be focused on? Who is the ultimate model and example of humility that we should be looking at? Jesus. Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote so beautifully, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the one that we look to. When that psalm begins, O Lord, we know who our Lord is, the Lord Jesus Christ. The chosen one of God. He's the one we look to. He's the one we focus on. He's the one who took the ultimate act of humility by being God and then coming to earth and living as a man. Taking on human flesh. He says he became a servant. The king chose to be a servant and to serve us. People like us, disobedient, wayward Sinners. He was obedient to his Father in heaven who was over him. He humbled himself and came down. He's the one we look to. He's the one we focus on. He's the one who should be our example. He's the one that we should keep our eyes on. He's the one we should constantly be coming back to, looking to, trying to model and thinking, God, I want to be like that, praying for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us so we live those lives of humility. And I've got three things that I just want to put to you that maybe you can look to put in practice over these summer weeks and months um, to help us in this area. The first one is to join Jesus' family. You need to join Jesus' family. If we're going to grow in this area of humility, if we're going to become more like him day by day, you need to join his family. If you're not a believer here, you need to become a Christian. 
Thank you for coming. It's lovely to have you with us. You need to make a response to Jesus because he makes some massive demands on all, all people. When he came, he reminded us that we were sinners. We were fallen short of God's glory. We cannot live up to those standards. The things we say, the things we do, discount us. The things we should say and should do that we don't do also discount us from God. But he said, I'm going to make a way. Because he came and lived a perfect life. Died on a cross in our place for our sin. Rose then bodily from death. Ascended into heaven. Sent the Holy Spirit. And now rules and reigns at the right hand of the Father. And he says to you today, I love you. I'm for you. I want to know you. I want to forgive you your sins. And I want you to become part of my family today. And if you're not a believer here, I'd love to chat with you after about what that means. And I would like to introduce you to my Lord and Saviour and watch what he can do in your life. If you're a Christian here today, you need to stop hanging around on the edge. The reality is of the New Testament is the idea of a Christian who isn't part of a church family is just non-existent. It is an anomaly. It's something that shouldn't happen. We've been born again into a family And so we should be part of that family. And if you're here, you need to find a church family and become a part of it. The reality is, the irony is, you're already part of it. (laughs) You just need to act like it. Because when you made a decision to follow Jesus, you got brought into his family. The worldwide family of God. The church. And you need to become part of that. You need to connect to it. And they're expressed in local bodies, congregations that meet all over the world. And you need to find one and you need to make it your home. And you need to join it. And if you're a guest here and you kind of come from somewhere else in the nation, great. Lovely to have you with us. When you go back to where that is, (laughs) find one and join it. Being out of it is not an option. Make it a priority. Make it a priority. If you want to grow in God, if you want to follow Jesus, you need to be part of his family to do that. You need to do that. You need other believers around you to help you grow and mature in your faith and become more like Jesus. The second thing, so you need to join uh, Jesus' family. The second thing, you need to be an active part of Jesus' family. If you're part of a family, you need to be involved in it. We're training our boys as they're growing up, that they're part of the family, and they need to just be involved in what's happening around us. This is meeting, uh, meeting resistance, In this area, when it comes to the less fun jobs of being part of a family, things like taking your bowl from the table to the the sink is just, you know, it's one of those battles that we fight. But um, you're part of this family. Help make this work. And I'm working through the trauma of that. that. If my kids come forth for prayer, um, that might be the root of it. Daddy made me do this unreasonable thing. But that's what it means. You need to be involved in your family. And growing in humility is a family affair. We need others. For a study, if you ever want to fancy a study, you should go through the New Testament and find all the references. You can do this with an online kind of web search, but all the references in the New Testament to each other and one another. So when it says something like love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, care for one another, admonish one another, etc., etc., Find out how many there are. There are lots. And the reality of those truth is you cannot do that on your own. 
You need to be part of a family. You need to be part of a community. You need to have people around you that you can do that to. Because those are all things, instructions to the church. So you need to have people around you. When, when the Bible says love one another, you think, well, I need some, find me somebody to love. There's another song there that we could put in there. You know, find it. I need to love on someone. Pray for them. Care for them. All these kind of things. Support them. You need people around you. You need to get involved. Don't just join. Turn up. Sit on the pew. Leave out. You know, leave. I, always call, I call those Christians ninja Christians because they come in, they sneak in, they sneak out, and we never know they're there. Don't be one of those. They sound cool, but they're not. Don't be the ninja Christian who kind of sneaks in, sneaks out. You're like, were they here? I missed them. Be part of a community. Find a community that works for you. Get involved. And for us here at Real Life Church, our vehicle for that is our life groups. They are our small kind of communities within the larger family community of the church where you get to be involved in people's lives. You get to work out some of the things um, in the New Testament. And more importantly, they get to be worked out on you. It's great to love others, but do you know what? It's great to be loved. It's great to be on the receiving end of that, and you need to be part of our community. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. Talk to one of the host team you met on the way in. Grab someone here you know and say, hey, I'm not connected. Get connected. If you've been around and you're kind of in a life group but you're like a ninja life group member, you know what I mean now, don't. Repent. Get connected. Say, come on, I'm coming back this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to get there. I'm going to be part of the community. I'm going to be part of what's going on to make this happen. Another way you can do it is to start serving somewhere. You can do this formally or you can do this informally. The formal serving is when you're on a rotor and you know you've made it as a Christian in real life church. When your name appears on a rotor, it's like, I have made it. I am there. And you can serve in so many ways with the kids and the setup and the band and the AV and all the host team and all that we do. That's just a great way just to be part of community. You get to meet people. You get to connect with people. The informal type is all the things where you just see opportunities and go after them. I can serve that person there. I can help out over here. I can love on that person. Things, God might just drop things into your heart, just prompt you. Say, hey, why don't you go and bless that person? Why don't you go and pray for them? Why don't you send them encouraging messages? Why don't you bless them with a bunch of flowers and just say, I know you're going through a tough time. We're, we're with you. We love you. We're standing for you. In those situations, do that. Be part of it. So don't just sit on the edge. Be part of God's community. Because as we're part of God's family, we grow and become more like Jesus. We grow in humility. We have a deeper love for God because we see it in other people's lives. We have a deeper love for our brothers and our sisters because we see it in their lives. And we have it returned to us. And we have a better, kind of fuller, rounder expression of our walk with God. Last one. Put your hope in Jesus as the head of the family. Put your hope in Jesus as the head of the family. Because I don't know if you've been involved in church for a while. I have. And I can say without a shadow of a doubt, they're imperfect, aren't they? (laughs) We suck sometimes. We get things wrong. We make mistakes. And if you've put all your hope and trust in the church as a bunch of people, it's going to fall apart. It's going to come crashing down. You are going to get hurt and you will end up hurting others as well. And so we have to put our ultimate faith and trust in the head of the church, Jesus. Because we know that he will never let us down. He will never fail. 
He will never, he will never um, fall apart on us. He will never let us go. We need to put our eyes and our focus on him. How do we do that? Well, the first thing is we need to be men and women who read their Bible and pray. We need to be men and women who read their Bible and pray, who make that a regular habit of opening God's word, reading it, and letting it affect our lives by taking it in. And there are a multitude of ways you can do that. You can read it. You can listen to it. You can have books that help you. You can read a few verses at a time and meditate on it. There are so many ways. If you are stumped, come to us. Ask us. We will give you a whole range of resources to help you read your Bible. In terms of prayer, then we respond to what God's Word has written. In prayer, we call out to Him. We have the model of the Lord's Prayer that we can follow and pray into it. We pray in our life groups so you can listen to others and learn how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I'm worried about praying out loud. Go to life group, come to our prayer meeting and listen. That's how I learned to pray. I stood around other people who looked like they knew what they were doing and I listened to theirs and thought, hey, they're good. I'll pray like that because that helps me learn and grow as a prayer. We need each other. We need a community. I want to suggest another resource, um, a book, um, if you haven't read it, handily titled Humility by C.J. Mahaney. Uh, if you want a summer read, read that. And just on this area of humility, you want to grow in that. I have a copy here, uh, which I'm happy to give away um, on, on the church. So if you are humble enough, you can come and get the book and you can read it over the summer. And then please um, pass it on to someone in your life group so they can read it. Seriously, who wants it? Go on then. I'm not, I'm not coming. Steve, I'm not coming to you. <laughs> Have a read and then pass it on to someone else for them to read. Okay, what about if you're, what you're facing in life now? Just think about your situation. You might be facing a difficult situation. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening. Work, health, employment, family, people. What's going on with you? Have you? Are you finding yourself in a situation where you thought, I didn't want to be here. I don't know how I got here. And even kind of looking to God and saying, hey, <laughs> how do we get here? Why am I here? What happened? Have you had expectations that you were kind of looking to that suddenly haven't been met? Are there things that you wanted that you haven't got? Is there stuff going on in your life where you're just like, ah, I want to finish just by praying for you and reminding you of what it says in that psalm about who we put our hope and our trust in. And I want you to bring whatever it is is on your life, whatever it is what you're going to, and I want you to bring it to Jesus. And I want you to make a choice to put your hope and your trust in him. I want you to make a choice to say, I'm going to put down my perceived rights to know the answers to what's going on, to why this is happening, what's going on in my life, why have I got myself here, why am I ill, why, am I, why is my job under threat, why is my family under pressure or, or something else going on in my life. I'm going to put that down before you because there are some things that are just beyond me and I will never know in this life what was truly going on there. And I'm going to lead you to pray to put your faith and trust in God. And I have hope and faith that God will come to you and meet you in there. And that image of the child in their mother's arms will be something that you will experience because I believe that is a promise from God for us who put our hope and trust in God. It says that we rise up on wings like eagles, isn't it? 
those who trust and wait on the Lord. And so I'd love to do that. So do you want to just stand? We're going to pray. And then, as we are family, we're going to sing. <laughs> All our sisters together. <laughs> but before we sing and remind ourselves of what Jesus is like and how wonderful he is, let's just pray. So when you just want to close your eyes. You know what it is. I imagine something came to mind as soon as I started saying what's going on in your life. A situation, a difficulty, a pressure. Why am I here? Why has this happened? Why have we gone here? Why am I facing hurt and, and pain and, uh, and suffering? What's going on in my life, Lord? Why am I here? And I just want you to bring that to God now. I'd love you to name it explicitly before him so there's no fudge you know what he knows anyway just tell him tell him what it is and then tell him how you're feeling about it make sure you're honest if you're angry say you're angry if you're hurt say you're hurt Now, having done that, I would love you to make an active decision now to hand it over to Jesus and say, I am giving this over to you. I am releasing the right, in inverted commas, to know why this is happening or to know what's going on or to know how we got here or, or why someone said something or why someone did something. And now I'm just going to pray that the God, by his spirit, will come and rest upon us as his people. And that picture, family picture of a mum with a child, will be something you will know. And it feels a bit weird because we're all a bit big to be cradled by our mums. But actually the picture still stands. The loving arms and the compassion of God is something we all need all the time, particularly when we're hurting and in pain. As so a Holy Spirit of God, we thank you that you are here. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you have been watching over us over these last weeks and months. Lord, we thank you that you've led us to this place this morning. Thank you for the grace and the mercy to just confess how we're feeling. And Holy Spirit of God, we want to say we trust in you. We put our faith in you. We put our hope in you and we will do it from this day forth and by your grace forevermore. Lord God, we want to say we love you and we praise you. And Holy Spirit of God, I ask you come and bring that peace which passes understanding, that leveling, that calming on your people now. Those who are riding the rough seas of life, we pray you come and speak stillness to them. In the midst of everything else whirling around, they would know you're calm. We thank you that you are with us always and you never leave us. You haven't left us as orphans. You're with us. You're by our sides this week and even coming into the next week, whatever it holds. You're with us in the hurt and the pain and the, the questioning and the uncertainty and the dark nights when you can't sleep.
and the struggles that we face every day, Lord, we thank you that you are there, God. And we pray by your grace you continue to conform us to your image. That day by day we will become more and more like you, Lord Jesus. We pray you continue to work on us, Holy Spirit. We want to say we love you and we praise you. And God's people said...